Let's jump right into the Bible study this morning uh, found in uh, Psalm 53. And I'll be uh, asking the Lord to help us with see the importance of this psalm and and, uh, Gene will still bring the message at the 11 o'clock hour. This uh, psalm, chapter 53 and Psalm 14 are basically word for word the same psalm. We've looked at this psalm in chapter 14, but I'll look back on the notes and this is a a different message. Uh, The Lord does that very often out of the same passage of Scripture. He teaches several different lessons and several different perspectives of where we see Christ. So this psalm appears twice in Scripture, so to me that makes it very important. When things in the Gospel narratives are repeated in all four Gospels, that tells us something of the significance and the importance of that particular passage. And it's the same in the Old Testament, very uncommon for the same psalm to repeat, but here's the case. And Paul quotes Psalm 14 and Psalm chapter 53 in both Romans chapter 3 and in Romans chapter 7. So we've got to give attention to all the Word of God, but if the Holy Spirit repeats or records twice a particular passage of Scripture, we need to give those words some undivided attention. These are important words. not a printing mistake. It's not that David had forgot another time what he had said. It's important. The Holy Spirit records it on the page of Scriptures again for a reason. Um, Verse 1, The fool hath said in his heart, There is, that be italicized, added, There is, no God. Now the fool didn't say in his heart there is no God is to deny God's existence. The, the fool, that word means the senseless, the wicked, the vile, hath said from his mouth, no, in his heart. <laughs> he said in his heart. This is an inward issue. This is a heart issue. He said in his heart. What did the fool say? He said from his heart, no, God. Now, they're not only saying no God for me, though they are, he is saying that. They're saying no God. No to God. And this is what's so foolish. Uh, can you say no to God? Well, you can, but not with any success. Uh, who can resist his will? Uh, there's no, really, there's no saying no to God. Because in the end, you and I will always do what God wills. And this is speaking of the attitude of the heart. This is speaking, uh, addressing the depravity of man's heart. His will is always done every day, all the time. And man by nature says, no, no, God, I will, I won't have it. I've got a will too. I've got to do something to help myself. And the Word of God says salvations of the Lord. God has mercy on whom He will, and whom He will He hardeneth. So plain, so direct, so true. 
It's salvation all about God's will. It don't have anything to do with man's will. Salvation is not, if I can, God will. Salvation is, God does because I can't. What can any dead sinner do? Can they let go and let God have His way? That's why I just almost chuckle anymore when I hear such nonsense. Can they give their heart to Jesus? Can they get saved? Can anyone get saved? It's said that there's no such thing as a free lunch. Most people know that. In this world, there's, I get emails all the time offering me things, and I'm like, that's just too good to be true. Guess what? It is. It's too good to be true. I've got some, uh, uh, some bad purchases to prove it. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Oh, me, fool, fool. What can any dead sinner do? But anyway, most people know that there's no such thing as a free lunch and that if you work that you should get paid. We've got uh, labor laws in our country that see to that. If I work, I get paid. Men and women know if we don't work, we don't get paid. And if we don't get paid, we don't eat. So that's why men and women work. But uh, that's never, ever been the case in the matter of salvation. Never has it been. Uh, salvation is God's gift to chosen sinners. Yes, sir. Not anything that we earn, work for, merit, deserve. It's a, it's a gift of, of grace. God in grace gave some sinners life. And to those that He gave life, God gave them a heart that could and would believe. God gave them the faith to know and believe that it was God who gave them the life and the grace and the faith to believe it. Yes, and now it just goes in a constant circle. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? <laughs> Doesn't matter. They both came. And it was according to God's will. We're saved by grace. That came first. Not to play that off as unimportant. Life had to be given before man ever could bow even, do anything. We had to be given life because we were dead in trespasses and sin. So grace comes first and then faith and it's just, but it's also, you know, together that it can't be separated. You were dead, God gave you life. That's salvation. You didn't do anything. You received it so you can't glory in it. You can't glory in something that you were given and you can't glory in it because you didn't do it. And you can't glory because someone else did it. Only the one who did it has a reason to glory. And that's why he gets all the glory. It's speaking of Christ and him alone. You get no glory for the work of another. There's no merit in receiving a free gift. The statement that David makes by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is much more than just a, an argument here against atheism by saying the fool says in his heart there is or no God. No, it's saying no to God. It's saying I'm going to exert my will over God's will and do what I want to and that really makes me my own God. And it's the same with self-professed atheists who, who pray and confess and claim that there is no God and then they pray and hope that that God that they deny doesn't kill them. 
This is speaking of a much darker evil. This is saying no to God. This is attempting to deny God His right to be God. Can you say no to God? Well, it all depends on who your God is. Is He a God who wants and tries to do something? Or is He a God who purposes and does? Is uh, God one who needs man's help and man's will to accomplish His own will and uh, to help man? Or does God speak and it comes to pass? Does God purpose it, then do it just as He purposed? One or the other. That's why all things work together for the good of them that love the, the Lord who are thee called according to His purpose because God directs all things. And that's what makes our redemption as God's children so sure it's by God's choosing and God's calling and God's saving and God bringing us to Himself in Christ that we're saved. But man's nature is to say no to God. Man's nature in his heart is not to have God to rule over him. And this is why, verse 1 again, corrupt are they. That's our problem. Sin. Who's, who's corrupt? Those that say no to God. No God, I refuse to bow to you as God. No God, I refuse to bow to your sovereign rule. No God, I refuse your divine appointments. I refuse to accept your omnipotent providence. No God, I refuse to believe that I have no will and no work in the matter of salvation. God, I say no to your sovereignty. I say no to your holiness. I say no to your will and purpose. I say no to your providence. I don't like the way that you're doing things. So I say no to all of them. I refuse to bow to who you say you are. I know that I can and must do something to be saved. You're not going to talk me out of that, God. To say no to God means to believe that there's no law and no order. To say there is no God means that God has no restraint to lust and has no limit to passion. And what... And who but a fool would believe that? He has the right to do what he will with his own. God is a God of law and order. He will by no means clear the guilty. The soul that sins, it shall die. God's never been tempted to do bad. He is the epitome of holiness and goodness. He cannot fail. God cannot fall. Shall not the judge of the earth do right? Yes, every single time. He cannot not do but that which is right. Why don't people like the way God does things? It's always right. God always does what's right. I heard someone say not long ago, God wouldn't do that. Well, if it happened, then He did. It may be carried out by the wicked hands and hearts of men, but ultimately it was the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God that brought it to pass. God works all things, all things, all things by the counsel of His own will, Ephesians 1.11. How could any of us say no to God? Because we're corrupt. We're rotten. Rotten. Bad to the bone and beyond. Verse 1 says that they, that all of us have done abominable iniquities. 
loathsome, detestable, revolting, disgusting sin. Iniquity. Abominable iniquity is our work. All we do is sin. You know, Solomon said, the plowing of the wicked is sin. If a man, a natural man, any man, born of woman, goes out and plows a field uh, to raise food for the poor and give to the poor, their plowing is in God's eyes still wicked and sinful. The plowing of the wicked is sin. My plowing is wicked and sinful. All that I do is sin. All that you do is sin. That's what that's saying. Even when we do, quote, profitable things or, quote, good things. We do corrupt things because we're corrupt. Uh, what we do doesn't make us corrupt. We're corrupt and we do what we do. Yes, abominable iniquity is ours because we ourselves are abominable. Verse 1 says there's none that doeth good. And, and none means none. Men and women by nature are ignorant, wicked, vile, uh, wicked, vile, disobedient, and unwilling servants. So, and they say no to God, no to any help from God, no to any deliverance from God, no to everything from God. And He's the one thing needful. How could we be so ignorant? Because we're corrupt, and we do abominable iniquity. And I'll add this: we're without excuse without excuse we are without excuse because of creation seeing creation in and of itself is enough reason to believe that God exists and that God created this world without excuse because of divine providence there's no way you can't believe a God is not in control of everything and things happen as they do not only everyday providence but by God's omnipotent Almighty work of the sun, the moon, the planets and stars all doing His bidding. You can't look at that and believe that it just happened from a big bang. The rain, the windstorms all heed His direction. Peace be still, He says to the storms, and they are still. No excuse not to believe there is a God. And in verse 2, it's the same God that looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand. What Was there any that did seek God? Who's, God? who's looking down? It's God that's looking down. Where's God looking down from? He's looking down from heaven. This is the true God from heaven. He's sitting on His throne looking down. The Supreme One who created all things looks down from heaven. The God who looks down from heaven is the one true and living God. And He does what He wills in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay His hand. This is God. Our God's in the heavens. He's done whatsoever He's pleased. That's what God says about Himself. And... I mean, I love the fact that God's sovereign, but I really love the fact that God's sovereign when it comes to saving me because I need a sovereign God to save me. I need a God who's not thwarted by my will. I need a God that, that interrupts and divinely intervenes in my life and, and says no to me and causes me to say yes to Him. 
That's what I need. That's what I must have. And that's what we have in the God of the Bible. There's none in heaven and the earth under the earth that can stay his stay his hand or question his purpose and whatever he does. He looked down from heaven as only the true God can. What was he looking for? He looked upon the children of men, me and you. Why? To see if there were any who did understand and seek after God. And again, you can see here that the word any is italicized, meaning it was added. But it should have been added because God didn't find anyone or anything who did understand. There were not any who understood God. There were not any who sought after God. What did these folks not understand? Well, they didn't have any understanding, first of all, of their sin. And then secondly, they had no understanding of God's righteousness. And most importantly, they didn't have any understanding of how that sinner and that holy and righteous God can be reconciled back together. That's the issue. You tell a man, a woman, a sinner that, you've told them the gospel. How Christ came in the world to save sinners. By dying in their room instead, by substitution. My, my, they had no understanding <clears throat> of how the sinner becomes righteous, how God could be both just and justify the ungodly. They had no understanding as to why they would say no to God. What did God find when He looked down to, to find that if there were any that sought after Him? He didn't find a one that was seeking after Him. Not a one. Verse 3, every one of them has gone back. All have left God and their sin is the reason. They all departed God. Every one of them apostatized and went away. None of them sought God. And here we have the exposing of man's will. I don't know how a man can read these verses and believe that he has a free will. I can sum up man's will with two words. Man won't. Two words. No God. No God. No God, I'm not doing it, not believing it. (laughs) Why? They're all together become filthy. They didn't become filthy after they were born. They were not born good and became bad. They became filthy after Adam sinned and they were born filthy. (laughs) Filthy when they were born. And again, we're told that there's none that doeth good. No, not one. Men and women have made God what they've imagined Him to be. We've talked about that so many times. That's so true. God said, you thought, you imagined. That's when we get in trouble. When we think and imagine that we know God apart from His divine revelation in this book. God doesn't think like us. We don't understand the character of God. He doesn't think like us. He's altogether other than what we are. We've all gone back. And this is such evil because men by nature find God repulsive. He should be the one that finds us repulsive. And He he does. But men find God repulsive. Uh, uh, Men uh, think God's unfair. Who are we to set in judgment of God? God doesn't think like us. Oh my, a man told me one time that my my God was his devil. 
He thought God was too loving and too good to send people to hell. Folks argued that God wouldn't do that. Most people believe one of four things about human nature. Evolution. Uh, mankind is evolving. In other words, they believe mankind's getting better. We didn't get it right this time, but we're, but we're evolving. We're getting better all the time. Uh, they, the second is they believe that everyone's born mutual. There's no difference in any of us that we ourselves make the difference. Between us and the other one is what we make it. Uh, mankind needs educating. Mankind needs grooving. A successful man is a self-made man. In other words, mankind makes themselves to differ. Or thirdly, they believe that man is fallen and sinful, but that man is not depraved. In other words, man's basically good and he can be trained to make themselves to differ. Why, well, just with a little teaching and a little sprucing up and the right upbringing, teaching, grooming, educating men and women can make a difference in their personal lives and make themselves worthy to be saved. You can't do it. God requires perfection. You can't provide the perfection. And then lastly, there's the scriptural view. Mankind is dead in sin. Mankind's evil, corrupt, filthy. Mankind can do nothing to save themselves. They can't. No ability. They will not. No willingness. Does that describe you personally? That's how God describes all of us. And that's why this is so important. If you don't see yourself as God does, then you haven't yet seen the Lord. Because anyone who has seen the Lord sees themselves that way. Only when God is, is as He is will make us see ourselves as we really are. Only when we see Him as He is, we see ourselves as we are. <clears throat> A rich young ruler, he addressed the Lord as good master. And the Lord told that young man, he said, there's none good but God. He didn't, that young man didn't come because he knew or believed that Jesus Christ was God. He just knew, thought it was all about being good. He said, good master, what good thing must I do to be saved? You're good, I'm good, we're all good. So I just want to make sure I'm doing the right good thing. So what good thing must I do to be saved? And the Lord said, why callest thou me good? There's none good but God. He immediately uh, shows us the difference between what God calls good and what man calls good. What God calls good is perfect, holy, righteous. What we call good is just a little better than I am, and I'm a mess. It's all relative. Sin's what we are. We sin because we're sinners. We do what comes 100% natural to us. We sin, there's no excuse. Our sin is unexcusable. It's against God and Him only. Christ came in the world to save sinners. Aren't you glad? These sinners were condemned already. They were born condemned. Why? Because they did not believe in and on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread. They've not called upon the Lord. That's a good question. Do workers of iniquity have knowledge of God? No, they drink iniquity like water on a 
hot day, cold water on a hot day. They hate you because they hated the Lord. They don't have any knowledge of God. They don't understand God's being. No understanding of the nature of sin. No understanding of how holy God deals with sin. No understanding of being accountable to God. And they'll eat you alive if God allows them. He told Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. And I prayed, I prayed that your faith fell you not. He's going to sift you. But you, you're going to continue to believe. My, my Lord, help us. Intervene. In the times of Christ, God's people were just ate up and devoured. They were reproached and persecuted. They did injury to them. They put them to death. They devoured their substance. Just like the Pharisees, it was said that they devoured widows' houses. You know what that means? They just moved in, sold them, and stuck the money in their pockets and ate off the fat of someone else. Just as natural as men eat bread. They don't call upon the name of the Lord to thank Him. They don't call upon the name of the Lord to praise Him for what He's provided. They feel entitled to all that they have. I mean, after all, we deserved it. Verse 5, they were they in great fear where no fear was. They didn't know God. You, listen, you can't and you won't fear a God that you don't know. Uh, they knew nothing of His holiness. They knew nothing of His judgment against sin. They didn't know anything of His justice. And it's the same today. No fear of God before their eyes. People don't know who God is. He loves everybody. He wants the best for everybody. Why? Everything's alright. Man, God got a good thing going. Didn't, don't, don't know God. Don't know anything of His holiness, His righteousness, His, his justice, His wrath. He's angry with the wicked every day. Not God. No God. You're not angry with ever, the wicked every day. I remind you again in this book, especially the Old Testament, it speaks and points sinners to the only substitute, the only sacrifice for sin, the Lord Jesus Christ. And every type and every picture and every shadow and every sacrifice point to Christ, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And God made Jesus, the same Jesus who you took with your wicked hands and crucified and slain, He's made Him the only means of saving His elect sheep and bringing them into the fold. Now none of them shall perish. They shall all come to repentance. There's no possibility for failure when God the Son is your substitute and your sacrifice. And all the Old Testament Scriptures pointed to Him. Thou shalt call His name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sin. And it says, For God scattered the bones of him that encampeth against thee. That's talking about Christ. Thou, Christ, has put them to shame. We didn't put anybody to shame. It was Christ that put them to shame. Because God hath despised them. That's pretty simple and direct uh, language from God to those who say, well, God loves everybody. Jesus loves everybody. It's said right there because God hath despised them. God has scattered the bones of those who hate Christ. Jesus Christ is being the sinner's only acceptance with God. There's no coming to Him any other way but by Him. The bones are the strength of the body showing that none of us by nature at our strongest and most fit state 
We can all be easily destroyed and scattered by the Lord Omnipotent. A man's in very good health for his age. He exercises. He, he you know, does all that he can. And boom, he starts forgetting things and all of a sudden finds out that he has a, a brain tumor or a cancer that it's inoperable and, and, and you know, uh, see, what, see what I'm saying? God is in control of this. He can send a little germ and kill us all if He so desired. And He hates all workers of iniquity and He's holy and we're sinners and He has a right to despise us. And our only hope is that He'd have mercy on us and, and be gracious to us and and uh, because anything apart from divine justice is God's sovereign mercy and grace to us. And then verse 6, Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion, when God bringeth back the captivity of His people, Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. Now, I wonder if, um, what... Well, no, I don't. I know which captivity David's talking about. He he wrote this psalm some two or three hundred years before Israel went into Babylonian captivity. So this is talking about a different captivity. This is talking about the captivity of sin. You see, in Romans chapter 7, verse 14, Paul said, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. Now, if you're sold under sin... Um, you're in bondage to sin. You're, it's your master. It's your, it's your master and you're its servant. And Paul didn't say here, I used to be carnal. Paul was a slave to sin, just like you and I are. He didn't know that he was carnal and sold under sin until the Lord saved him and gave him life. And you can't reveal or teach dead men and women anything, not until you, you give them life. They have to be made alive. And this is the language and the speech of a saved man and woman and sinner. This is speaking of the captivity of the law of sin. The captivity of sin within my members. Paul said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, is no good thing. In Christ, we're saved from the power of sin. And one day, very soon, we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. Because this corrupt is going to put on incorruptible and this mortal is going to put on immortality and we're going to see Christ as He is and we're going to be just like Him. You know, I wonder if you had a terminal disease and there was only one doctor in all the world that could cure you. Uh, wouldn't you make it your purpose in life to find favor with that great physician? Or, or would you do all you could to offend him? Do all you could to alienate him, make him uh, to where he didn't, wouldn't want to help you? No, you'd do everything you could to find grace and favors that he would help you. Uh, you wouldn't doubt his ability. You wouldn't say in front of him like, well, I hear you're a good doctor, but I kind of doubt it. And you, you wouldn't ignore His Word if He told you to uh, prepare for surgery or to take a particular medicine or prescription, uh, you would do it. You, you'd closely follow His direction. 
You wouldn't criticize his intention to what's best for you. You wouldn't say, well, I know you're a doctor and everything and you took an oath, but I don't really feel like you care or you're out to help me. And I have felt that way a time or two at a doctor. But uh, the attitude of a saved sinner is there's only one that can help you. He's the great physician. You don't have anybody else to go to. And yes, we love Him because He first loved us, but that's not the amazing thing. The amazing thing is not that God and Christ loved us first. The amazing thing is that, that He loved us, period. It's amazing that He loved me at all. There's nobody more surprised about my wife loving me than me. She lives with me. And God delivers us from our captivity and we shall be glad. We're glad right now. I'm glad right now, aren't you? Aren't you glad the Lord saved you? You ought to be glad. Um, can you imagine how happy, how glad you're going to be when you you actually see with perfect sight your heavenly freedom and your glorious Savior? <laughs> you're going to be without sin when you see Christ as He is. You're going to be just like Him and you're going to see that. You're like, my, my union with Him, I'm just like Him. I see that. No sin cloud in my vision. Every son and daughter of Jacob is going to rejoice. All the people of Israel, true Israel, are going to be glad. God's done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. We ought to be glad.